says tech can't be human? Always believe in yourself. And if you're ever going to bet on anything, bet on yourself. Because you really learn a lot about yourself and you learn about what's in you, you know? Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. RSA 2022 is back in person at the Moscone Center in San Francisco, and no one is more excited than Uptix. If you're a modern defender securing a growing and complex multi-cloud environment, Uptix provides the visibility that you need to match your company's growth and innovation step for step. Check them out at booth number 435 and enter your chance to win a 6,000-piece Star Wars AT-AT Lego or visit them at uptix.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S dot com. Thank you, Uptix, for sponsoring this episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show glad to be back again with a friend with a family member our brother john dimaggio is back (laughs) in the hacker valley studio you might remember him when he joined us on hacker valley red john let me say a few words about you not only are you a friend of the podcast but you also wrote a book recently the art of cyber warfare and investigators guide to espionage ransomware and organized crime big shout out to that and also congrats on the somewhat new position it's been a while joining analyst one as a chief security strategist welcome back thank you thank you guys for having me good to get the family back together love your podcast you guys do an awesome job and uh, so excited to actually uh, be a part of this let's go ahead and start at the beginning, you you have this book that's coming out. Where did that all come from? The Art of Cyber Warfare is a book I have been working on for quite some time. I would say it really goes back to, I'd say prior to Symantec. There, there actually is a, is a really interesting story behind this. I had worked for a company. This company is not on my resume. I had only worked there for about five or six weeks. It was a company that, you know, I was really excited to go to and they are a great company, but you know, I, I'm really creative and I, and I do things a little bit different than a lot of other analysts. And I really try to think out of the box and I really try to come up with uh, different ways to do threat intelligence and analysis. And because I'm a former uh, government intelligence analyst, you know, I went through formal training. So I use a lot of analytical models, some of which I've, I've altered to sort of fit the changing environment that we live in with threat intelligence today. And the organization that I went to, they had their own methods, their own ways, their own model, even had their own tools and resources to use. And, you know, when, when I got there, there was a little bit of a struggle for me, uh, just, just being honest. You know, I had a hard time doing things their way. And, and while I could do it, you know, I was a little bit slower, I guess, than I would have liked. And, and there was a little bit of a learning curve. It just wasn't working out in that role. So they wanted to try and give me still an opportunity. You know, so they tried me out in some different positions. And one of them I was really interested in is I wanted to write. So they had an opening of doing writing for their threat intelligence feed. 
To do that, though, they wanted to test my writing capability. And they, I'll never forget this day. They brought me into a room. And of all the topics, it's a topic that I know well now because of my kids, but I didn't at the time, was they asked me to write a 2,000-word essay on basketball. And <laughs> I get, I get, yeah, right. That was my reaction. I get, you know, you should be able to, to show your writing skills. It shouldn't matter on the topic. But, you know, I, I really overthought it. I don't know. I never played it. I don't know the rules. I didn't watch it. Long story short, I didn't do a great job, apparently, on the essay. And before they gave me that news, though, they gave me one other shot. One of the other analysts there, actually, they didn't. One of the analysts there, he had seen some of the blogs that I had done uh, on my own on the side. And he was like, come on, man. He's like, I want you to write this. This will be for our actual threat feed. I want you to write you know, on this content. So he gave it to me. I worked on it a couple of days. I came back. I finished it. They came back in and they were like, yeah, th- this isn't going to cut it. You know, you, you need a lot of improvement on, on your writing skills. And, and the Southern analyst was like, well, actually, you know, I disagree. And John wrote this and they had already told him that they had liked that because they thought he had wrote, wrote it. That They didn't believe, they honestly, I, they didn't believe that I had written the production blog. And I know they didn't believe me because the next day HR came to my desk, they took my computer, showed me the door. And that's, you know, that's the only time that, that that's happened to me, that capacity. And, you know, in the government, I did really well. I was one of the best analysts. I was a signals intelligence analyst. I was one of the best analysts on my team. And I just had a great reputation. So to go from that to this was, was, was shocking for me. I really, really struggled with it. And, and I just remember I went home that night and I, and I was just, I was crushed. And, you know, it was one of those defining moments uh, in my career where, You know, I could have just gone back and just said, okay, I'm going to just go down, continue the path. I'll either go back with the government or I will continue, you know, being a just threat researcher and give up on, you know, my goal to, to write and to, you know, do more public speaking and things like that. But I didn't, you know, I believed in myself and I doubled down and came back swinging. Over the next few months, I had put together an outline for a book. And I started approaching some folks that had written books before. And, you know, one of them uh, actually was like, hey, well, I, you know, I know a publisher. Why don't we write a book together? And of course, I thought that was great. So we pursued that. But, you know, life's busy. And, you know, that person, unfortunately, didn't have the time to fulfill their side of the commitment. So when Mm -hmm. the deadline came due for that with that publisher, you know, only I had my content and without the other piece, that deal fell through. Well, that happened several times over the years. And eventually, you know, I decided I needed to do this on my own. And that's sort of where I came up with a a modified version of that where I was going to write my own book. And that is sort of how the art of cyber warfare began. And that's a whole other story about getting to, to my publisher, but let me kind of stop so I don't just talk the whole time and oh, <laughs> see no. what you guys think about that. <laughs> no, I'm on the edge of my seat. We need, we need to keep going because okay. Okay. You, you're right. <laughs> you, you doubled down on yourself. You said, you know what? I'm not going to listen to the naysayers. I'm not going to let the doubters do it. But I think there was even a piece of you that felt like I need to prove this to myself. So yes. tell us about the journey of going through writing the book. Tell us the highs, the lows, the, the hard parts, the easy parts about going through this journey of writing. One of the hardest things to do is to get a recognized publisher to sign up and, and, and to put you know, resources and money into publishing your content you know, under their platform. And not that there's anything 
wrong with um, self-publishing, but my goal was not to self-publish. My goal was to, again, a lot of it was proving to myself. I knew that if I could get a recognized publisher within my, my field to actually publish a book for me, that was for me that that was going to be what I needed to sort of complete my journey. Um, if I just published it on my own because of the way that the path that brought me to, to here, which I just described, you know, because of that, just doing it on my own wasn't going to be enough. I needed to prove that I could hang in there and I could actually get a, a, a publisher to produce the book. So I started doing, I started to do a lot of research and I reached out to a reporter right now. He left Reuters, but now he's with the Washington Post a guy named Joe Men. When I was at Semantic, I had done a number of um, interviews with Joe and he's written a couple of books and I had ran into him at one of his, I'd gone to one of his book signings and I had his number and I called him up and I was like, Hey man, you know, I, I really want to get published. Can you give me any advice? And, you know, he, he, he was a really nice guy. He was, you know, he took the time to help me and it's something that I've never forgot, but not only did he give me direction because a lot of authors actually have managers that they have to share their proceeds with and other things, you know, he gave me sort of direction. This is your first book, the type of content you're doing, you don't need that. And he kind of gave me some advice on how to approach publishers. And he was, let me inform me because I didn't know that each publisher sort of has a different publishing nomination process and that it was going to take time. And it wasn't a just copy and paste one all like you really needed to sort of tailor that for each publisher. So I did that. And I started, you know, every weekend, I would take several hours on on Sunday, and I would find, you know, I would I had a list of, of sort of my top 10 publishers. And I went through them. And this honestly, I would say it took me over a year of, 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 you know, sending in, in applications and then waiting to hear back. And, you know, you get a lot of denial, a lot of denial letters in that process, or you just don't hear anything and it can be really frustrating. And I'll be honest, I was getting really frustrated, but you know, I'm like a bulldog, you know, I, 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 I don't, I don't get deterred easily. So, um, I just kept going at it. Honestly, you know, I, I remember the day vividly, I was standing there in, in my, uh, my office and I was looking at my bookshelf and I swear to God, I'm not saying this because they ended up being my publisher. It's just, this is the God honest truth. Over 80% of the books on my bookshelf were from No Starch Press. And they have just done so many books in the, not just in the cybersecurity arena, but in programming and just tech and computer and hacking and other stuff. And I was like, I hadn't applied to them because, you know, I didn't think I, I would have, have a shot. You know, I thought maybe if I get a book out there first, that would be one I could, I could grow into. But, you know, I just said, screw it, man. And I, and I figured out what they're, you know, went to their side, I figured out the process, tailored my nomination package to what I thought they would look for. I had written a sample chapter in addition to the outline and, and the nomination package. And sent it all in and then I waited. So it was December of 2019. And, you know, I, I, again, I also will never forget getting that email saying that they wanted to have a talk with me and they wanted to, to discuss the book. And, you know, I was so excited after so many denial letters and so much time and the joint publication thing that had fallen through previously and the, you know, just, just all the effort and the frustration and because it, it really was a dream and, and not giving up on that to finally have not just a publisher, but for me, the publisher that wanted to talk to me and was going to consider it, I, I was so excited. So uh, it was it was later that week. We had our call. We had our meeting. 
And they had some, I'll call it advice on some things that they wanted to or recommended that I change in the book outline and sort of some of the direction. And so they, they gave that, that feedback to me and we scheduled sort of a follow-up and I, I went and I did the work and I made sort of those changes and got it back to them and we followed up again. And it was, I don't know, a month later we'd signed a contract and, uh, I had thought that that was the hardest part of all of this was getting there. And in a way it was, but I underestimated the amount of work I had ahead of me, <laughs> you know, cause this is an addition to work. So this isn't like, yep. you know, I'm doing this and I don't have anything else to do. So it was literally like working two full-time jobs and then COVID happened. And, you know, because my kid's mom worked for the government, you know, she had to go into an office every day where I didn't. So now I had my kids with me every day on top of my regular job at Symantec and the book. So it was a lot of discipline, but, but I was dead set and motivated and I, and it took me so much to get this. I was going to write this book or die trying. And I know about, <laughs> it about killed me. It came close because I, I would literally, you know, get up and, and start my day at eight 30 or nine o'clock and, you know, work to five or six and then spend a few hours with the kids and put them to bed at nine. And, and then I'd work from, from nine or 10 until one in the morning. And I did that. And I, I'm not, I, I swear guys, I did that six days days a week. And I did that for about a year and a half. Mm. Um, but, but I did it, man. I got, I got the book draft done and we went through the editing process. I found a really great technical editor, a guy in, in my field, his name's Chris Sperry, um, who, who helped me cause you know, they'd never written a book or published a book like this either. So, you know, regular tech editors for their technical books, they didn't have the expertise. So I was really grateful that Chris signed up to do that, but you know, it was a great experience with no starch. The pre-sales came out a couple months ago and the actual release of the book is next week. It's the 26th. It's been a huge success. The sales have, have, have done great. It was one of the top five books uh, over Black Friday during the holidays. That's when the pre-sale launched. And I was uh, I was at Barnes & Noble a few nights ago and I asked them, um, and I didn't tell them I was the author. author. I said, hey, there's a, there's a book coming out. Are you guys going to have it in store? And they are. And so I, I'm going to have to go in because that's really going to be sort of where I think it's going to all sink in is when I actually go into a Barnes & Noble and I actually see my book on the shelf. Target's, you know, picked it up. You know, like I said, that's the benefits of having a publisher with a lot of outreach, but I couldn't be happier with the way it's turned out. And it really is. It's the hardest thing I have ever done. I'm really proud of it. And, you know, I haven't even touched on the content or why I wrote it or who it's going to help, but just this process, it has been so rewarding. You can probably tell how passionate I am and how excited I am, but uh, I'm just really proud of the book. Hey everyone, it's me, Simone Biles. You might be wondering why you're hearing my voice on a cybersecurity podcast ad. Well, it's because I'm partnering with Axonius. Whether you're a gymnast like me, or an IT or security pro, complexity is inevitable. And I've learned that the key to success is focusing on what you can control. Go check out my video at axonius.com slash Simone. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash S-I-M O-N-E. So let's go ahead and talk about the content, right? You, you spend so much time on writing the book and it almost sounds like if it didn't work out, you would have had another book about the lessons that you learned right, trying to write your first one that could have been its own book in itself. But let's talk a little bit about the content, right? It's called The, the Art of Cyber Warfare. I think, you know, from my perspective, that term cyber warfare gets misconstrued a lot. From my perspective, 
It might be maybe nation states causing destruction on other nation states. But how would you define it? And what are some of the tenets about cyber warfare in the book? Yeah. So, um, well, it's, you make a great point on the, uh, on the cyber warfare term and, you know, the title is actually something that I worked on with the publisher. So that's not something that I just came up with. That's something that we worked on together. But, you know, the reason that we picked that is because the book covers a, a lot of different areas, but they're all advanced threats. So the book really focuses on, you know, I spent the first 14 years of my career just doing nation state espionage investigations. And then I spent the past, you know, three or four Four years of my career really getting involved with organized crime, ransomware gangs, and uh, and things like that. And the book sort of encompasses it all. But what I wanted to do with the book was, you know, one of the things over the, the life of my career that I constantly ran into is organizations just weren't handling advanced threats correctly. They weren't identifying them correctly. And when they were, they weren't uh, treating them the right way. They were treating them the same way they would their day-to-day threats. Well, uh, an advanced threat like a nation state or an organized gang, there's a human being behind it with an objective. You shut one door, they're going to climb through the window. They're not going to go away. There's a reason that they call them persistent. So I really wanted to one, convey the difference and to show people why it is different. And then two, I wanted to teach analysts how to track these type of threats because it, it, honest to God, it is completely different than um, having done both than just being, you know, your traditional defender with your day-to-day threats. So the, fir- the the book's divided into two parts. And the first part is just, it's just cool stories, investigations, and lots of examples of what happens when you don't recognize and handle a nation state or an organized cybercrime gang, you, when you don't handle an attack from an adversary like that correctly, and what happens. And they're just a lot of interesting stories. A lot of the stories I talk about in that first half are actually stories that uh, as an investigator at Symantec, I was able to work. I don't necessarily phrase it that way in, in the book because we were a team and it's under Symantec, but it was a lot, it was a firsthand experience that I felt gave me a lot of knowledge to able to present the material in a way that it hadn't been presented before and to drive home sort of, this is what happens if you don't handle these or treat these correctly. And then once that, the second half, is once I've sort of beaten that into you and hopefully really entertained you because they're really interesting stories. And I tried to make that first half something that you could pick up in an airport and, and, and read being not being technical and just have really cool stories of like, wow, this is interesting watching this nation state attack this organization and what they did and how they deceive people and what the end result was. But the second half really gets into different analytical models, how to do attribution, something that I have very strong feelings about because when we do it wrong, there's some bad re- percussions that last a long time, different tools to use. I spent a lot of time doing OSINT and using either free or nearly free tools in addition to you know the, the more expensive tools that we use in corporate America. But I wanted to focus on what researchers and, and could use and what tools and the me- again, the methodologies and analytical models that I use with advanced threats. So that's sort of what the second half of the book is. And then the final chapter is a use case where, where I took real threat data or real spear phishing emails from AP. T28, that's a Russian GRU, 
And we start with that spear phishing email and we just sort of pivot and we use all the things that we taught in the book, threat profiling, malware analysis, how to look at infrastructure, how to connect the dots, how to pivot, document the information and track large quantity of attacks from one attacker over time, and then leverage that information to make it into intelligence to use against your adversary. And it all comes together at the end. And again, an analyst can actually follow through and use the data and use those resources and and do it on their own as well. So that's sort of, in a nutshell, exactly what the book is. It's meant to be entertaining, and it's also meant to teach analysts and to provide something useful. And that use case, I used in an older spear phishing email, I think it was like from 2014, but I didn't want to use something that came from an employer, and I wanted to get something in the public domain, and I wanted something that I could really show everything I taught in the book. And this was like sort of the, the perfect scenario, the spear phishing email, and sort of all of the, the breadcrumbs that were left behind by by the attacker that when when you're done, you just have a really big picture view of what a Russian-based intelligence agency did over several months to target a specific demographic of organizations. I think it's really interesting, and I really hope that analysts and just people interested in the topic will enjoy. It sounds like the perfect edutainment piece of content. It's educational, (laughs) it's entertainment. It feels like half spy novel, half cybersecurity textbook, yes. but it, yes. it seems like you you really covered it. And we have a semi-famous conversation that's out there on the interwebs uh, where we talked about attribution. And I know that's something that is near and dear to your heart. Yeah. Uh, when you're looking at all the different contexts within threat intelligence and looking at nation states, different folks have different needs and different levels of depth that they need to go into for a given thing in in intelligence. What perspective did you have to maintain? Did you look at it from more of a perspective of a threat researcher? Did you look at it from more of a perspective of somebody that's in a mid-sized company? How did you find out who your avatar was for this book? Well, all right. So obviously coming from the government, you know, we, we use the, the diamond model for a lot of things. But when I left the government and I went into the private sector, for me and for our team, you know, that, that didn't really, that wasn't as effective as it was when, you know, governments tracking governments, it worked. But when I was trying to use it for a more commercial targeting, still with nation states, but also with cyber criminals, it was different. So I modified that quite a bit and I made something that worked for, for me. And I talk about in the book, I do, I talk about the diamond model, but then I talk about this other model. But basically, regardless of the model, you have to find something that's going to fit your organization. And, you know, my recommendation was to take one of these models and to modify it to work. But the most important thing out of all of that, though, you have to qualify your attribution. So low, medium, high, and then you have to have things that are that you can actually measure that are that are static that qualify those different variables. And one of the most important things I think for attribution is to never base attribution off of just one thing. So you got malware. Okay, well, I think I know this malware is used by this group. I'm going to say that it is Russia or it is China. You can read some of the stories in the book. There's specific examples where Russia once basically did an espionage campaign on a Chinese military unit, took their payload, 
and put aspects of that into their attack so that analysts and defenders would see that and automatically attribute it to China. And when we actually looked at the big picture and some of the other other breadcrumbs and the other attribution aspects in it, it became clear that this was actually Russia. And that and it's just, that's just one example that you know the stories that, that I talk about. But that's why it's so important to have whatever model you use to have different aspects of your attribution. So whether it's malware, whether it's a persona, whether it's a theme, whether it's infrastructure, whatever it is, you need to have multiple aspects of it come from multiple different areas of your attribution model. And you need to have basically a hypothesis that you can defend as to why you're going to say that it's threat actor X from this country, because the repercussions when you get it wrong, you know, especially when it's at a public level, but even when it's not, once you put that out there, you can't take it back. Like you can put out a correction, but people are still going to read that and it'll still be out there from other organizations that reproduce it and things like that. And you're going to have people base their, or just remember it and base their attribution in the future incorrectly because you did that. And I've seen that happen. So it was just very important to me to really put a solid, not just attribution chapter in there that really went into the different types of attackers, different models, how to qualify it and different methods, but to also, again, have sort of the supporting stories of what happens when you do it correctly and what happens when you do it. And, and I think doing that all together really drives home that point. You know, everything that you're saying is really making me think about doubling down on oneself. Even if you get a little bit of feedback that says, ah, you probably shouldn't do this. I mean, this could be anything. This could be someone going from threat intelligence to leadership or going from leadership, going back technical or going from a threat hunter to compliance. Like you want to do something, your, your heart is telling you in which direction it needs to go, but people say you shouldn't do that. What is that piece of advice that you'd have for someone that feels they're being called to something, but the naysayers say they shouldn't? Oh man, you know what? That's that's been my life story. Uh, you know, I, I, I just I'm going to answer your question, but you know, I I came out of out of high school. I went into you know the military, and I was a military police officer. And when I got out, I wanted to do something else, and I never got a college degree. I went and just bought a bunch of routers, switches, and a book on how to get CCNA certified and sort of taught myself. And so I've always been, I didn't get my college degree until I was, you know, 35 years old. So my, my point in saying that is that happens all the time. People want to put you in a bucket. You, you do this and you do this well. Why would you want to change? This is what you do. If you believe in yourself and you're willing to put in that work, it'll happen. And, you know, we, I just talked about the persistence of threat adversaries. Well, there can be the persistence in threat intelligence analysts or whatever person it is that what they want to do. But, but yeah, you put in that motivation, you put in that work. I, I look at it like Tom Brady, you could be the most successful person in the world. No, I'm not comparing myself to him. You could be the most <laughs> successful person in the world. You put that ship on your shoulder and you come at it and you don't let anything stop you. I mean, I get, I'm getting goosebumps right now. Like I motivate my myself and and I don't let anybody stop me and there's other a lot of other people that do the same thing but you cannot let somebody else dictate what you're going to do how you're going to do it in your career if you believe in yourself you want to do it not only don't do it but do it well and you can go back after and and you know those people and you never put it in anybody's face those people will know okay wow I guess I was wrong on that and that's my advice is is, is just to always always believe in yourself and if you're ever going to bet on anything bet on yourself because 
because you really learn a lot about yourself and you learn about what's in you. You know, when that thing happened, where I got lost that job, you know, I'm not uh, ashamed to say, I mean, I cried that night. Like I had never, it was emotionally devastating to me, but if that had not happened, I would not be where I am today. So, you know, you just got to pick yourself up, be kind to yourself, and then work your ass off to get what you want. There you go, folks. I got chills myself. Love that. Perfect <laughs> advice for anyone out there. John, for folks that want to stay up to date with you, the great stuff that you're doing, and especially get that book, what are the best ways for people to do that? Yeah. So The Art of Cyber Warfare, it is officially released on the 26th. It'll be available in bookstores, Barnes & Noble, Target, you know, all, all the, I don't think we don't have a ton of bookstores left today, but all, all, all the, the, the main players, it'll be available. It's also available online through the publisher, No Starch Press, as well as just a handful of other websites. If you, you know, if you Google The Art of Cyber Warfare or my name, uh, it'll be one of the first ones that come up. And plus the cover is so cool. No Starch has, you know, illustrators that just make the most interesting cover so it's got a cool ninja dude on it and yeah it's just it's interesting but yeah it's available on the web and in stores as of the 26th you can order it today pre-order it but yeah you can actually pick it up in stores on the 26th perfect this is not live so by the time everybody hears it they will be able to buy it and in fact you can always hit pre-order now in case you are hearing this before the 26th somehow and we dropped a link to john's social and the book and the show notes. John, thank you again. Really looking forward to hear what comes next. And with that, we'll see everyone next time. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. 